Bam, we're live. I started a minute early to address this Clydesdale thing. You guys made me nervous. Like, I, that there was a show tonight, and I didn't know there was a show tonight. I was like, oh, we're live, Caleb. Hi. I, I wasn't, I wasn't, they were saying in the comments, are you guys ready for the show tonight? And I'm just like, wait, what show? Because I, because Susan, I've been going back and forth on the schedule a shitload, and I didn't see anything on the schedule. But I think what I'm seeing is uh, Travis from Vindicate, who does the shirts for, the Sevon podcast and Hillerfit and, and many others now in the community. It sounds like he's going on with uh, Scott Schweitzer, Switzer, Schweitzer, Switzer, Schweitzer. <laughs> Mr. Butter, hi. How are you, brother? Good to see you always. Uh, I'm pumped about this show this morning, guys. I am really, 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 really pumped. Um. Good morning, Bruce Wayne. Good to see you, brother. Uh, Miss Riddow, good to see you. Jeez Louise. Kev, good morning. I don't know if I've seen Kev before. I apologize if I my memory is not sitting with me well. Do you guys know who we have? on? Oh, Devesh, good morning. Devesh, where are you? Are, are, you in, uh, are you in the States? I just see your name, and I just think you're not in the States. But maybe you are in the States. There's probably a lot of Deveshes up in Palo Alto and Silicon Valley. My kid went to a uh, tennis tournament in Lafayette, uh, California, and it was just, it was predominantly uh, Indian cats and Asian kids. Big, big sport for those, for those people in this area, for the bougie, for the bougie. My wife said uh, Ari was the only. He said Ari was the only white kid at the tennis tournament. It's not a very diverse sport. Hi, Gavin. What's up, brother? How are we, guys? Good to see Good you. Good morning. Dude, I am so pumped to have you on. It's lovely to meet you both. It's, it's, it's really nice to be on. Thank you so much for having me. Dude, crazy. Are you living the dream or what? Oh, I think that's what we all say. It's, uh, it's definitely a good, good thing to be in Vegas in a different country and all those experiences that come with it for sure. You are a man, uh, a, a aficionado of uh, human movement and health and performance at the highest level, and now you've landed in an institute that I don't. I don't think it's arguably. I think it is the most profound thing human beings can do with their with their um, with their health and fitness and movement. And that's to uh, fight off other men and women. It's, it's, it's crazy. Well, it's for sure. The most on the lot is the most is on the line. There's no other sport. I mean, there's probably some obscure sport in the mountains of Afghanistan that has more, more on the line, <laughs> but, but I mean, Holy cow, you, you're doing it. And look, I, I daily have this huge respect for, these men and women, they're warriors. And one of the craziest things about this sport is that they only get to generally compete two to four times a year. So let's say you have a, a bad scrap. You, you don't do well in your fight. You've got to mull on that for three to four months before you get the opportunity to, to go again. Now, can you imagine the nerves of having a bad game of football? Oh, I'll just go next week and and I'll just change that around, and here we go again. you got to wait three or four months where you mull over the bad decisions you made, and it's not like you lost by points a lot of the time. You might have lost fairly brutally as well. So it's I couldn't do it. 
professionally, that's for sure. You know, it's very, very different sparring or hitting bags to actually getting in the ring and doing it for a and, living. And, so. all, and uh, there's this thing with tennis. It, it doesn't matter what the score is. If you're on the court, um, you can win. There's no time limit. That you are always in control of your own shit. But but you could put in the most insane twelve weeks of training camp at the UFC. That's the most physically demanding thing you've ever done on your body. And for any reason, the guy pulls out. The guy knocks you out. You knock yes. the guy out. The whole thing could be over even before it starts. In one second. In two seconds. There's like, you know, not everyone gets backup fighters. I mean, every. I, I, when I have the UFC fighters on, I'm always like, every one of your fights is the Super Bowl. You don't get any like, yeah. you're three and zero. It doesn't matter because this is your Super Bowl. Even though if you're the first fight on the on the on the early prelims, it's crazy. Yeah, exactly, and the work that goes in to the off camp and fight camp preparation, you see the amount of work and how hard these athletes push themselves, and then they might make one technical error and they get KO'd in the first minute. And you know how hard they've worked. You know how good they are. And they made one small, tiny error, and it's all over. It's, it's, when, it, yeah. when, it, when a guy – when you see these guys like um, Hamzat who have, who have these – and there's other guys obviously too, but who have these remarkably quick fights – and that they're ready to just go. They're like they, you know, and they're in their um, when Daniel or whoever's interviewing them afterwards says, "Hey, I'm ready to go again, Dana." It, I always think to myself, coming, you know, from from the fitness background, they don't want to waste all. They've put in so much work. Yes. And and, and they they it's all is that is that one of the things you think that's going through their mind? Like, oh shit, I'm only, I'm not going to be able to stay peaked forever. Quick, get me in next week. Like, totally, totally. And and they know they're thinking of all the work that they've just done to get them to there. They almost want to show that off. They want to go three rounds or five rounds because they know they have that capacity to do so. And it's almost somewhat disappointing that it, somewhat that it finished in the first two minutes because they, I've got so much more to ex express and to highlight to everyone of like how hard I've worked on this component of my training. So it, they genuinely mean it when they say they want to get back in there if they've had a quick win. And imagine the adrenaline too. Just let's go. I, I, I can't beat anyone. <laughs> uh, I want to show you something. Uh, we'll start with something very, very light here. Um, I the only person I ever saw take off their pants after a max performance effort was a uh, Derek Lewis. Derek Lewis, uh, yeah. yeah, he took off his fight to um, cool down his balls. Uh, I, I think that's I'm, I'm paraphrasing, but I think I'm pretty close to verbatim. Uh -huh. And the other day, uh, this gentleman Andrew Hiller, uh, we were uh, commentating the um, Rogue Invitational. That's a CrossFit event that happened in Austin this past weekend. And uh, one of the commentators who commentates from his garage said, hey, uh, and he's, he's recently started doing uh, TRT, testosterone replacement therapy. And he said, hey, I'm going to do heavy grace, the final workout cold. And he didn't tell any of us he was going to do it. And he just put 225 on the bar. And I, I want to show you this. And I'd never seen this before except with, um, with Mr. Lewis. So – I think five oh eight. So he just yeah, finished his 30, 30th rep. Of, he just finished his thirtieth rep of taking two hundred twenty five pounds off the ground into overhead, and he did it in five oh eight. He did the first, I think, twenty five reps in three and a half minutes, and then of course hit a wall. But but here we go. Watch watch this behavior Nine. here. Five oh eight. Five oh eight. Give that. 
31 <laughs> so, total reps completed. 30 yeah. counted. Yeah, yeah, take them off. Eddie. Take your pants off, buddy. Take your pants off. <laughs> whoa, whoa, whoa. What is he doing? <laughs> oh my god, your dick yeah. is huge. In <laughs> the real show begins. Why? Now is your YouTube on by the way? I'm getting a slight echo. Is there another do you have two windows open, Gavin? No, okay. Um I've worked out so hard to where the music is overstimulating me and I have to turn the music off right away or um, I, I, I'm starting to tingle in my head or some weird shit. I'm having some weird physiological effects, but I've never been like, hey, I have to take my pants off. <laughs> but but I, I clearly recognize that there's something going on. And Do you have any explanation for this? Have you ever seen guys do that, just, uh, just want to start just taking their clothes off? Uh, definitely, definitely taking shirts off. Um, yes. not so much pants because uh, we, we train with males and females at the UFC. So <laughs> I'm imagining they, <laughs> even in that moment, they understand that might not be appropriate. Um, but I, I definitely think it's probably to do with something along the lines of the central nervous system just being fried and they're like, ah, it's like a, that whole fight or flight response and they don't know what to do. And so that's just that cooling mechanism to take the pants off. But, uh, Yeah. Thankfully, we haven't had to deal with that at the gym at the UFC Performance Institute. And you have to imagine that Derek's uh, core temp must skyrocket. For sure, very quickly as well. And that was a pretty pretty tough, tough uh, bout for him as well. So, yeah, he would have been overheating for sure. I wonder if it's some sort of um... – like evolutionary mechanism like i, I mean I'm, I'm grasping at straws straws here but like hey you can't let the testicles get so hot because it starts killing the sperm <laughs> or like if your genitalia do um i mean you have more sweat glands down there at least it, it seems like that like when we work out it seems like it's your armpits my chest and, and you know around my cock and balls and my anus that are just dumping <laughs> well that's what they say when you're uh in the ocean when it when it's uh there's a concern for hypothermia the armpits the head and the the groin region is is what you've got to keep the warmest and as soon as that gets cold that's when hypothermia kicks in so you're probably under something there wow armpits groin and head head yeah keep yeah my kids recently my kids just recently started surfing and uh one of the guys was out there wearing a hood the other day and he said the difference is unreal Oh, for sure. It's like a bad ice cream headache when you're surfing without that hoodie in the cold water. It's a, it's a big, big difference. I certainly felt a difference when I lost my hair. <laughs> um, where were you born, Gavin? Western Australia. And uh, what year were you born? 1979. 1979. And, and you, uh, did you get into uh, sports early as a child? Love sports and still love it to this day. I think I played uh, most things that Australia had to offer. So tended to play on field sports a lot more than um, martial arts. But um, throughout that whole time, there was martial arts involved. But I certainly am better prepared mentally for team sports. I like that environment much better than I'm too hard on myself for solo sports. So it's better that I work with teams to better for me mentally. Explain that to me because we have we see that in CrossFit too. There's an individual competition, 
And then we see guys get a little bit burnt. Well, my words, but they get a little burnt out and then they switch to team to a four man team. What's the, what's the difference? What do you mean that you're too hard on yourself or individual? I mean, I think a lot of athletes, it's what gets you to the successful point in the first place, right? You're a driven human. You want perfection a lot of the time as well, which is often unachievable. So we, we tend to force ourselves to be better and better all the time. Now, that's obviously a great thing to a point. At some point, that's going to start damaging you because of that. I'm not sure if you guys are familiar with the Chimp Paradox book, but it's a great book talking about the mindset of all humans and how we've got a chimp brain, which is our emotional brain, and that's faster to react than our logical human brain all the time. Everyone's the same. And so we get these this chimp yapping away at us, telling us all the bad and negative things about ourselves, um, almost like a, um, a survival in a sense. Uh, you're not going to be able to do that. You shouldn't do that, blah, blah, blah. And it's 20 seconds faster to react than your human logical brain. So if you give it time, you let it exercise its mindset, then the human kicks in and says, well, actually, if you look at the facts, I've been training this way, this way, this way, I am capable of doing it. And so that's, that's the the challenge of our mindset. That's the one. Perfect. And so I've, I found that to be a really helpful book. And what it also helped me understand was as athletes, we're driven to be better than we were yesterday. That's fantastic. But at some point, that chimp overtakes our human logical brain. And when you're around others, they might provide you with that motivation, that feedback that you're actually on the right track and you're doing well. And you almost feel like it's now not about me, so I can't be as hard on myself. We've got other input stimulators to to push ourselves forward. And um, that's why team sports work so well. You're in it together. And if you lose, you can kind of do that as a group and talk about it with each other. If you're a solo athlete and you lose, the chimp goes crazy. And it's a horrific place to be. You're you're describing a, a phenomenon that's un- unfortunately because we have people who haven't created space in their brain f- for that twenty seconds. It's interesting. I've never heard a time domain put on that, mm. but I communicate pe- with people often to where they think they're communicating with me, but they're actually reacting to I say something. They have an emotion, and then when they communicate back to me, they're they're actually communicating back to the, what their emotion said to them, but they think they're communicating to me and it causes a dissonance in their, um, the, the conversation basically stops. I, I don't mean to be harsh, but a very common place you see that if, if you're around a lot of women will be that week before they go through menopause. Mm-hmm. You'll see that, oh, I can't follow this conversation because they're reacting emotionally to something I said and now I'm, 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 I'm lost. And we kind of take stabs in the dark. We, if, if we're not aware of that, we take stabs in the dark to try to communicate with those people. And so people don't even know they're doing that, right? Oh, absolutely. That's the emotion kicking in. What's another great example of that? Road rage. Someone, right. someone pulls in front of you. Reaction is, you idiot. Um, but, you know, they don't actually probably know that they've done that. A lot of the time, it's not a deliberate ploy. They've just not paid attention for that second. And just through weight of numbers, we've just happened to run into that person at that particular time. And um, it, it's not like they went, there's that person in the silver car, let's cut them off. They're not thinking like that, but we think they are because that's our chimp talking to us. So, it, yeah, and you get in that, and yeah. you get in that echo chamber with yourself, oh, bouncing 100%. back and forth. Absolutely. And that's that chimp the whole time. So you have to, 
you'll never lose that. We all have that. But the the challenge as this book goes into great detail of, of coming up with is is working out management, how to manage that. So one of one of the funnest ways I've found is you've got to give that chimp a name because we often associate those thoughts in our head as us. It's us talking, but it's not us. It's our emotions. And so mine's called Stephen with a V and it's close to seven, but it's not. So I just want to clear that up. It's Stephen. You can change his name. I wouldn't be offended. (laughs) And so whenever Stephen starts talking to me, I'll talk to me like it's another person. Now it sounds a bit crazy, but at the same time, it's disassociating you from your emotions and therefore you're actually a bit kinder to yourself because you know your human logical brain is not being that asshole basically i i i often will tell people and 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 tell myself those are not my thoughts those are not my emotions but i am 100 percent responsible for them still Mm -hmm. great way to put it yeah, yeah, I am responsible. I'm responsible for it. So that's not fair. It, 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 it's irrelevant. Yeah, it, it, no, it, it is to. what it is. It's the mechanism that we are as humans. It's a mechanism, but we can manage it. And I think that's really important to know that we need to disassociate from it. But we also need to be aware that it's still us acting upon it. So we need to make sure we manage what we act upon, basically, and how we act upon it. <laughs> The, um, it's it's interesting you bring up these speeds. Let me let me throw this out there and, and ask you what you think about this part of the brain. So there's this logical part of the brain where I could give you instructions and tell you how to come to my house, right? Mm-hmm. And you could logically think, okay, I turn here, right? And you can remember it. And let's say that's the slowest part of the brain. And then there's the emotional part that can just come up and we don't even see where it comes up from, right? Like like you were saying, the well, it, it comes up. I don't want to be angry when someone cuts me off, but for some reason it just comes out of the well and, and can take over my being. And that's a, that's a really fast one and you have to be kind of super alert to see that happen, right? Mm-hmm. Hyper-focused and, and, and sort of what we call space or stillness or a meditative state to witness it. Mm-hmm. What about this other part of the brain? And I don't even know if it is part of the brain where you learn that learns how to swim or it learns how to ride a bike where you can't even teach that part of the brain with words or with emotions. It has to be, it is so fast. This one. Yes. And and Uh, it um, is. Yeah, you're right. Seven. It's, it's the fastest. Like if you trip, it's the one that catches you from falling, but it's also the one that's so hard to manipulate as we all remember when we learned how to ride a bike. It's like, dude, I'm telling you to ride this bike. And it's like, bro. Mm Mm-hmm. And if and so, if the other two are on, if the emotional one's on, it'll wreak havoc on that on that one that learns how to move. Or if the if the talking one's on, I mean, you can't be like, okay, lean right. It's too slow. Exactly. The way that this book describes it is that's our computer. So the computer okay. is actually the first thing to react because they're learned, whether it's techniques or um, uh, behaviors. We do that autonomously. Like we we do that as an automatic response. We're not even thinking like you say. The thing with that is, think of a computer, you get viruses in the computer. So that he calls them gremlins. And those gremlins can build up over time. So that creates a different psychology in that computer so that your reaction does actually change based on repeated patterns of poor behavior. So let's look at a perfect scenario. Your computer in a road rage incident yeah, over time knows that no one's trying to do this to you deliberately. So that's how you react. But over time, maybe you grew up in LA and there's a heap of 
crazy drivers on the road and over time you're actually like i'm pretty sure these guys are doing this deliberately to me every morning every morning i'm driving to work this idiot cut me off that's your emotion that starts putting a gremlin into your computer for you to react that way and then you've now got to have a conversation with your human logical brain which is the slowest out of all three to go well actually remember how this happened and then you've got to go about trying to change that behavior so there's they're kind of like autopilots is another term that he uses in the book. Autopilots are the things. Yeah, that, I use that too. Right? People who yeah. I, I see people all around me on autopilot. Yeah. In this way, it's like, this is just what we do right now. That could be good or bad. So you're saying it like they're on autopilot. Sometimes it's not the best thing, right? Sometimes it is a good thing, but that's all built into the computer and all things we can manage and change depending on what you want to happen. Um, I call those programs for people who use PC spyware and so, and there are behaviors that create that too. So like lying, lying mm -hmm. will really bog down your spyware. It, every time you lie, it creates a program in the background that uh, dishonesty will create spyware. That That's why it's not good to be dishonest. Not because for all the things that people think and same with stealing. It's not like, who cares if you steal? But the problem is, is it bogs down your computer, lying, dishonesty, stealing. These things create spyware that require you to sort of defend a position and, mm. and uh, uh, inhibit your ability to be present. Yeah. And, it, and it, like you say, it becomes a spiral, too. If you lie about something, that's going to create another place in your life where you're probably going to have to lie about that, too, so that you keep that initial lie <laughs> truthful you know what i mean and then it just your life becomes all these stories made up stories instead of the facts so it's a dangerous game i imagine to get into when when you uh, so so you so you're born in western australia and you start do you remember um uh, why you got into sports and, and what your earliest sports were my, my dad's fairly sporty as well so he was always a big um not a driving force he just did it so you know a lot of boys followed their dads through example and so I just saw him playing sport as a kid and I enjoyed it. And he often became uh, my junior coach. You know, when you're in the local team, he, he would be the coach. So he'd get involved quite heavily. Um, I just enjoyed the competition and being active. I was an active kid. There he is. Well played, sir. Yeah. So that was uh, about two years ago during COVID when I managed to get back to Australia and spend some time with him. So that's in the Masters cricket game. And uh, it, that was a great moment for me. That was the first time we actually played in a team together instead of him just coaching. So he's about 72 there, still going strong. Awesome. Uh, isn't, that, isn't that fantastic? I think one of the greatest gifts uh, a parent could give their child is to um, maintain their physical health. And then, and then second to that is to maintain, to, to be financially... Uh, independent because those are things that, that that weigh on weigh on a child right you, you you want your parents to be healthy and you want them to be financially independent absolutely and, and it's it's certainly two of the main concerns off the list when they are right and right so now it's just about spending time with them as best as you can yeah and enjoying um, yeah did you want to be a professional athlete Absolutely. That's why every strength coach turns to a strength coach, isn't it? Because they didn't quite make it. <laughs> tell me, tell me, what what did you want to play? Um, Australian rules football was or cricket in that picture were the two sports that I was pursuing. Um, at the age of about 16, 17, I probably had to make a choice because in Australia, they're 
they're not played at the same time, but there's a big crossover of the pre-season of football and the main part of a cricket season. So um, I chose Australian rules football, went reasonably well as a kid. And then um, funnily enough, I spent a lot of time in the gym because I was always getting injured. So that's probably where my passion for that started coming from and my understandings of how the gym could help me potentially prevent injury or at least improve performance. So I kind of, I retired very young because I just couldn't, I had a knee operation at 18, I think. And then that led to all sorts of other things. And so I ended up being a strength coach, getting a qualification, being a strength coach back at the same club that I grew up playing for. And that's sort of how I started my strength and conditioning career back in 1998. So it's been a, been a long journey, but wow. um, I, yeah, I've sort of, my thing now is it took me a long time to get over that, to be honest, because that's all I ever thought I would do. But now I'm looking at how if I'm training world champion athletes in the gym, well, I want to be the world champion strength and conditioning coach. Ah. So so I'm trying to make it almost that's my sport now is is I'm around it, but let's be better at what everything that we can do as a strength and conditioning coach. Uh, it, it's a, it's a, um, it's a remarkable field that's gone through, you know, a lot of, uh, a, a lot of evolutions. Yeah. A, 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 a ton of, uh, and maybe evolutions isn't the right word. Trends. Yeah. You know, we see, Trends. we see these, we see footage of high schools in the U S um, 50 years ago and they were doing CrossFit and yeah. You know, you, you see the ropes and the jungle gyms and you see the all the boys look fit and, you, you know, everyone's seen the black and white footage. And then it went away. And we had kind of the Hulk Hogan, uh, Arnold Schwarzenegger era. And then Greg Glassman came back um, and, uh, and, 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 gave, and, and sort of put it all, pieced it all back together again. He defined what fitness is, uh, you, you know, using scientific method. And, and it's, it's, it's back again. Right. Yeah. But and, but in but in that time, there was a, a severe damage done to society somewhere between nutrition, pharma and this lack of understanding, I guess, of what we're capable of with our movement or, or, what, or what healthy movement looks like, what healthy training looks like. Yeah. And, and that's a social media thing as well. Right. Like if you if you're trying to sell a product, then that's all you're trying to do. You don't care if it actually matters. So that's where these trends have been uh, difficult to deal with when you know that there's a deeper meaning and deeper uh, requirement from the human body than just this one particular method or tool or something that that person is selling. It goes so much deeper than that. And yet people are making a hell of a lot of money from selling these products to people that think it's going to change their world instantaneously when I think all of us probably know it just takes consistency and a little bit of hard work and sweat and and discipline and you'll get there. It's it's not easy. It's not supposed to be a one hit wonder solution. So I that that's it, it's now about well work out what works for you. So if if someone's not into CrossFit, that's okay. But what's your thing? If you are into CrossFit, that's also okay. Make sure you get after it. It's it's right. about finding what works for you because we're all such different individuals. There is no one solution for the entire population, yet some people still come across like there is. And there just simply isn't. Our psychology works too different for that to happen. 
we've reached a point where um to kind of push back on what you were saying um I, I don't know if it justifies it but we've reached a point to like if you move it's good and i mean we, we've reached such high decrepitude with society at least in the united states that even these fads are these things that anyone's trying to like the thigh master is better than what half the people are doing these days right right i mean if yeah. you at, at least at least that those people are moving now you know i was talking to someone about this the other day and it's you're, you're exactly right the hard thing for me sometimes is that my life has revolved around working with people trying to get fit through my online business. So I'm helping people train all the time or I'm at somewhere like the UFC or or around athletes. So that's pretty much majority of what I see. But you're exactly right. When you look at the statistics, that's actually far away from the norm. And I'm, I'm sure that's quite similar in, in CrossFit circles as well. People are very community-orientated. They're, they're there for each other and that's what you see but that's probably not the norm either. It's it's almost like that's that's this small percentage of people that are trying to keep themselves healthy and and looking at longevity and pushing themselves to be better than they were yesterday. And you surround yourself with that enough, you think that's actually what happens in every household. Um, one of one of the things that's been really interesting for me as an Australian coming from uh, coming to America is is you mentioned the big farmer component, and that's blowing my mind. The uh, what was what was one of the athletes said, mate? We're born medicated here. It's phenomenal. Uh, yeah, it's been a a new thing for me. I, I want to show you something. Uh, if I can find it here, this right here. Uh, sorry, uh, Caleb, I didn't send this to you. This blew me away. Um, I. I'm so touched by this. I, I'm so touched by this kid, Jake Paul. Um, I, I'm not a big, I, I don't do a lot of scrolling on social media. I'm not really up to speed on pop culture. Um, he entered the fight game and, and so I, he popped on my radar. It's kind of the only thing I, it's the only TV I watch. I watch fighting, you know, I, I follow the UFC closely. I try to follow boxing, but it's hard enough just following the UFC full time. I, I, and, um, I want you to check out uh, what he said. This is a young man. Uh, well, let's. I'll play it. Here we go. Pharma companies who basically sell billions, hundreds of billions of dollars worth of medication to people. If the medication actually worked, then they wouldn't have any more clients. So they're just trying to get these people more sick. Um, and the, this type of corruption happens with hundred billion dollar organizations because like i said it's hundreds of billions of dollars on the line and greediness never stops man you know these people always want more and more and more the big pharma company i'm just blown away that a young man in his position uh like that i mean like if i was if i was indifferent about him now i'm in love with him like good job buddy like you, you're really using your platform. Yeah, spot on. It, it is it is a different system for sure, and especially when you spend some time around the world in other places, it's it's quite fascinating that that's so prominent. I guess in the way that solutions uh, are pushed, like there, there's no. There, I've been speaking to friends about it, and there's they they'll get scripts for things that 
can last them an insane amount of time for repeats that they just needed for, you know, maybe one week. And they, they get over-prescribed for long periods of time so that almost like they're trying to get them hooked on it. It's fascinating. I, I was shooting this movie in Kenya, and I, I remember um, for some reason I knew the GDP of Kenya, and I can't remember what it was, but then I was um, – flying back home and I was listening to the radio or something and I heard someone say how much money the United States spends on sleeping pills every year. And it was like 10 X the GDP of the entire country, what the U S was spending on sleeping pills. I was like, what the fuck is going on? Mind blowing. And the fact that that doesn't even actually help you sleep, it just kind of knocks you out. If you've read that, um, why we sleep by Matthew Walker, He's like, that's that's probably the worst thing you could do because you're not actually sleeping per se. You're just getting knocked out. So you end up taking more and more and there goes your cycle. It's crazy. I I, yeah. I honestly wanted instead of uh, when um, the, the, the so-called COVID pandemic happened, I thought that the best thing that they could do would be to buy assault bikes for everyone in the United States. <laughs> And just leave them in the yeah. parking lot at Walmart's and let people go. Every every human being gets one. And I did yeah. the math, and it became financially more feasible. Unbelievable. Yeah. Here no, you go. Just your free well, assault bike provided to you by you know your government. And ha- how many of those assault bikes would have ended up being like clothes dryers? <laughs> I'd be okay as long as they rode them and let the fan close the uh, dry the clothes. Hey, but, the garage right. You bring up a good point, but. Um, it would be more just to clear my conscience that we actually gave you the real solution. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. I, I'm definitely uh, on your side with it. I think it's a great idea. And maybe how many people, as many people probably that it turns into a, a clothes dryer, it also potentially changes their life and they get uh, addicted to exercise, you know? Yeah. Um, when, when you get this injury and you have to um, leave sport, was that um, easy for you or was that very difficult for you? Was that what, what happened in your life in between your ears at that point? Uh, it took, took years, to be honest. I was lost. And uh, I, I did I, – my, my journey into strength and conditioning has been really unusual, which I now like. But at the time, I wasn't too sure that was okay or not. Uh, but I ended up working in a – uh, in a regular gym. It was a great community gym, lots of members, maybe 1,500 members. Uh, had my own personal training business out of there as I was doing strength and conditioning for the football team. And then after about five years of doing that, I needed a change. So I went to university at a university called WAPA, which is the West Australian Academy of Performing Arts. And that's where Hugh Jackman went for his acting. But they also do other degrees so for me i did broadcasting in radio and television ended up being a television presenter in australia for the next 10 years alongside of uh my personal training business that gym that i what, worked what did at, you present what was your tv show for those 10 years gavin so there was one uh, we did ones around mining and resources which was a big deal in western australia that's what keeps our um i guess commerce rolling uh, so i did one called our town as well, which was more of a lifestyle-based program. And yeah, there was it was basically working with this producer who came up with these ideas and then we would go out on the road around Western Australia and Australia to present these programs on lifestyle and mining or whatever, whatever he happened to do. So that was great. As soon as I graduated, I hooked up with him and we 
we're able to work for the next sort of 10 years throughout Australia on that. In, in, um, in, some, in somewhere, did your goals to be a professional athlete and when you say – sorry, when you say Australian football, I'm not sure what that is. Is that like American football with just slightly different rules? Do you guys wear pad? No. What What is it? Australian rules football is a fantastic game. Um, it's not rugby as well. Uh, it's it's only really – like it's played around the world, but pretty much Australia is the only one that does it professionally. And they – it's a it's a large ground. You can run forward, backwards, sideways. doesn't matter. You kick the ball. If I was to kick the ball to you and you – what we call market, then we're not allowed to touch you. You've just got to stand there and then you can kick or handball. If you kick it through the big sticks, it's six points. If you kick it through the little ones on the side, it's one point. Look it up on YouTube. Biggest hits, oh, wow. AFL. It's awesome. And, and can you pass? Yeah, absolutely. So you can pass with a handball, what we call a handball. The ball's held in your hand and you punch it to your – If I if I did that to you and you got the ball, we can then tackle you. But if I kicked it to you and you marked it, I can't tackle you. So uh, um, it, can, can you throw it overhand? No, you can't throw the no. ball. Okay, okay. Oh, and you have to punch it. Uh, you can kick or punch it. They're the two ways that you can move it, but you can move that ball all around different angles. Um, so you know in NFL how sometimes it's the last play of the game and they throw it backwards like yeah. rugby? Yeah, yeah, well, you can do that anytime. So I could have someone in your end zone. We'd usually line up the whole way across the the field. And then, um, yeah, it's so, it's so hard to explain. I'd have to sit down with you and watch it because there's so Are, are there downs? Are there downs? How do you switch no, balls? No, you just you have get to take it, it from the guys. Bonus. You got to take it from them. Yeah. And awesome. it's free flowing. So the guys in the midfield will generally run at high speed between. I'll try and think of it in miles, but it's between 13 and 15 kilometers a game. So it's it's a pretty maybe what's that, nine, ten miles a game. So fitness is a premium. You have to be big, but you also have to be able to run your ass off. They're 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 Correct. they're bigger, they're bigger versions of soccer players. Absolutely. Yeah. So there's a lot of contact in the game. So part of the big part of the game is tackling, big part of the game is running, um, contests. So if there's a free floating ball, I could run straight into you if the ball's near us and try and hit you off the ball and then pick the ball up and give it to my opponent. So, yeah. Are, are pads awesome. stupid? Has the NFL lost? Pads is, are pads are pads <laughs> stupid? Or do they is, – is it, is it, honestly, let's put – this is a conversation that pops up every few months when a bunch of guys get together and they start talking about the – even the Americans, I think, are starting to figure it out that the, the Australians have it right. Pads actually cause injury, right? Well, when, when you've got a helmet on and coaches tell you to use that helmet to tackle people, yeah, it's probably pretty stupid. Like, if you didn't have that helmet on, would you use your head to tackle someone? Of course you wouldn't. And, so, and, and those really fast parts of the brain that we talked about before won't let you either, right? They're like, you don't have a helmet on, dumbass. You, you don't start spearing people without a helmet. No, look at rugby for a great example. Rugby have got fantastic tackling techniques. They watch the hips, they see which way the hips move, and then they drive their shoulder into the side of it. And, I mean, I, I was watching a presentation many years ago about rugby league, very similar to rugby union, um, and the strength coach was saying that every impact, every tackle head-on is the equivalent of um, like a 60-mile-per-hour car crash. 
and they do multiple ones of that. Now, now let's let's put a helmet on and do the same thing, and use your head to tackle. Like it's, hey, it's the sport, right? It is the sport, but I I think you're basically point. giving people a hammer out there. You might as well just, hey, yeah. do you want a helmet or a hammer? Yeah, <laughs> you much. get to choose. <laughs> pretty much, pretty much. And I, I'd I don't know much about the strength and conditioning side of um, NFL, but I'd I'd want to hope they're doing a lot of neck based strength to protect that as well. Is is the Performance Institute in um, that uh, the UFC has built in Las Vegas? Um, where would you rank that in terms of performance institutes worldwide? Are there other performance like like Olympic facilities and things like that in these other countries? Are they just at the top of the game? Yeah, in many in many ways they are. Look, there's plenty of um, facilities that have great technology, um, fantastic equipment. I think that's all well and good, but it, how do you utilize that to then program and prescribe for your athletes? And I think that's what the UFC Performance Institute does really, really well. We've got the technology, we have the equipment, but we also utilize that to our best capacity to try and help the athletes improve. And ultimately, that's what it's there for, right, is to help improve the athlete, get better at those one percenters that might help underpin what they do for a sport and a living. So, yeah. Let me come at you hard here and say, is any of it a um, marketing gimmick, the Institute? I I think with the UFC, there there has to be. But the thing, I, I think a lot of it, like, let's say, for example, we've got squat racks and our squat racks have lights through them. We're not using that for anything except to, to highlight what a cool gym this is and it looks awesome, right? But we're not using that for anything regarding athlete performance, but it looks looks cool as hell. Um, I think things like that have to be because we obviously want to highlight the facility and if we bring those things in, it looks great on social media and therefore there's more attention brought to what we're actually providing for these athletes because a lot of people don't really care about if we're using we've got software from our force plates that go up and they're behind the mirror you know it looks awesome but it's also really useful and interactive so we use that daily um so in that case it's good but not everyone cares about that but if it looks pretty and they don't understand strength and conditioning then that's a great sell because from a fan's perspective, the Performance Institute is kind of like this mysterious, magical place, mm. right? Like you, we we only we see it on embedded, and 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 you know you have one guy walking through there who's the star of the piece, but then there's other famous fighters everywhere, you know, getting getting their groove on. Yes, it's it, it, it looks a, like Disneyland for yeah, it looks like Disneyland for uh, UFC fighters. It, and I think it is, to be honest, that that's not a sell. Like it really is a fantastic place and we utilize the things that we have in there to their optimum. And ultimately, if you bring it back and you strip all of the um, the fanfare back, we are there to help improve and accelerate the evolution of mixed martial arts, particularly in what we term non-technical training. So non-technical training, anything that relates to making the athlete better, that's not their sport. That's why we're there. And I think we do a damn good job of it. And I think we use the technology and the the equipment that we have in this facility to its optimum to try and drive this sport forward. And so basically that that isn't bullshit. That's that's what we do and we do it well every day. And um, 
I, I think that's really exciting because MMA obviously is a very young sport. Maybe this year, I think the UFC, or next year, sorry, the UFC is going to have its 30th year anniversary. So it's only been around for 30 years. Now, when you compare that to things like football, NFL football, soccer, cricket, all these sports that have been around for a long, long time, got a lot of research on them. MMA, we're literally been open for five years at the Performance Institute. Like crazy. Right? And that's all the data, the, the actual scientific data that we have is five years of time. And compare that to every other sport where we're new, we're real new. And it sounds like I've never heard a single athlete say anything but positive stuff about, um, you, you know, even the angriest athletes who complain about everything. They still they still throw mass accolades at the Performance Institute. Um, have you got have you guys outgrown that? What's it like there? Is it is it um, does it get crowded there? I mean, I think Al, I, we've had Al Jermaine on the show a handful of times and he, he, he basically lives there. Right. I get the impression he spends a lot of time there. Yeah, you know, Aljo's there. He utilizes the services, especially when he's in town, because obviously he's, I think his other home's back sort of near, near New York. Um, and so he his other home is around Vegas. So we get to see Aljo a lot, and he uses the services. And the thing with someone like, um, well, maybe I won't use Aljo as an example, but he does use a lot of our services. But say an athlete comes in, they can handpick what they want to use. So if you had your team from Florida, come in and there's just you your coach your wrestling partner you can book upstairs on the mats and that's where you do your training as well so you can do your mma training there you don't have to go to a rival club that's in vegas you can spend time with your people and then maybe you come downstairs book in a strength and conditioning session the afternoon you use the recovery services and then book in with the pt staff how's your weight cut going make sure you check in with the nutrition staff and they'll help you guide you through your weight cut with all the meals provided for you as well, because if you're a UFC rostered fighter, all of that is free. It's unbelievable. Yeah, it sounds unbelievable. Um, so do you still do you still take on individual clients? Do you still have um, the Gavin Pratt individual programming? Can people still contact you and get individual programming from you? Absolutely. I've run um, my online business at the moment. It's called GCP Fitness. So Gavin Craig Pratt's my name. So GCP Fitness. Um, online programs basically the way that's worked for about the last 10 11 years is people will will send me their gym a video of their gym equipment and then i'll write a customized program to suit them based on how many times a week they want to train for how long what their targets are and then with the equipment that they have as well so that's kind of like my little side project there's my wife there she's a dietitian as well so it's kind of like all encompassing it's about to get a renovation because i haven't looked at updating this website for about eight years i've been too busy to do so but now's the time i think boys i've got to i've got to step it up a little bit but uh yeah that's basically my side project as well are you when you when you are you are as you are the director of strength and conditioning for the ufc god that's so cool um, so cool. Yeah. It's so yeah. cool, dude. It's yeah. so cool. Um your dad happy. must be so your mom and dad must be so proud. What what a cool place you've landed. Um do you still do hands-on or or are you stuck in an office shuffling papers around and dealing with people fighting and and not getting along and or or, or do you actually still get to train athletes? That very very busy. Train every day. Yeah. So this is actually the video that's up now. That's um 
at the UFC in Shanghai. And so I spent three years there and it's more like probably your college gym in America. It's a lot more spaced out because we have an academy-based program there. So we might have between 30 and 40 athletes there at one time. It incorporates guys like the Leech or UFC fighters who maybe want to visit there. So Leech was just doing his camp there. He wasn't based in Shanghai. He was based in another city, Beijing. But we do have UFC fighters in that academy. So fighters such as Shailan, Arichilang, Mahashatha, um, they're graduates of the academy. Alatang uh, Haley, they're all graduates of the academy that are now in the UFC and have um, now basically got their second contracts in the UFC. So we're trying to pr- produce more fighters from China. Unfortunately, COVID has been an absolute nightmare over there, probably affected more there than any other country and is still going. But that is... A it is still going there? Problem. It's still going there? The, the, they, they have all sorts of protocols in place that are still just slowing them down? Mind-blowing. They, they okay. are testing COVID every day. Every single wow. day. Disney, Disneyland got shut down with people in it two days ago, I believe. With people in it? Yeah, I've yep. seen I've seen video of that before, like when someone tests positive at an airport, then they shut the whole airport down and everyone's scrambling for the doors and they, they're like, it's uh-uh. Brutal. It's brutal. Yeah. It's been really difficult. I was stuck there for two years while my wife was stuck in Australia. Um, and they, at the time, they were two of the worst countries to get in and out of. So um, we sort of saw each other for a couple of weeks across those two years. And every time I travelled to see her, I'd have to do two weeks quarantine in Australia two weeks quarantine back in China. So that's that's a month of quarantine. And then I'd only get like four weeks with her because I got managed, UFC were great to me and managed to give me like two months off. But four of that was in quarantine. So we did that a number of times for two years. So thankfully now she's here. It was crazy. And, and do you plan on staying in the States? Are you home now? Is this home? Yeah. Yeah, it is home. I mean, we're about a week or two away from having our first kid, which is really exciting. Congratulations. He's going to be an American. So he's going to jump on that. I'm sorry about that, but everything else, congratulations. It's a great, it's a, it's a a great country. It's a great country. Yeah. It's been good, man. We've, we've felt like we've been welcomed with open arms here. And the, the job that I have is not contract for the first time in many, many years. Obviously what we do is a lot of contract based work. So I don't have a contract. It's just ongoing. So that's really nice place to be. Um, you, you talked about the difficulty of separating of sort of my words, not yours, giving up your dream to be a professional athlete. And that it, did it ever snap completely? Did were you ever, did you ever feel a moment where you able to, I guess, I guess you answer that question. You didn't let it go. You parlayed it now to, you want to be the best strength and conditioning coach in the world. Yeah. I, I think there was definitely time probably, I don't know why I remember this age, but around 28, I, I think I was better. And at, at that point, I the gym that I had been working at, I became a manager and an owner in that gym. And I started to realize that there, there were some other things, some cool things I could do in my life. I love to travel. And so I started organizing. Um, basically, I thought I was going to move to Europe. My dad's English, so I, I could get a passport back then. And so with a mate, I went to London, bought a caravan, and then just lived in the caravan for four and a half months and surfed around Europe out of a caravan. I think I did a lot of soul searching then and realized that actually this is pretty cool. Um, I know a lot of guys that I grew up playing football with who are still playing football and they would have been in their preseason again for maybe their 12th year. And I was like, yeah, 
Seven's heaps more fun. I might just stick with that, actually. <laughs> so, you're describing guys that I imagine – you're describing what I imagine is the nightmare of, like, being in the minor leagues. You were meeting, like, in baseball, I always think about that. You met yes. guys who wanted to be pro, and they were trying for 12 years, and, and, and they're just – they're not going to make it, but they've given 12 years of their life to it. Yeah, exactly, mate. And then I was able to do – like, the picture up there is from the TV show that we were doing, so – pretty much was a dream right in that point i'm i'm about to go surfing and i'm presenting on a tv show i'm like this is pretty cool actually i don't think i would have managed to get these opportunities being a subpar elite athlete you know what i mean i would have been in the minors for so long no one's no one's going to put me in front of a camera so it it was kind of cool to be able to know that i could take whatever direction i wanted in my life at that point and i wasn't hamstrung by pre-seasons and in-seasons and minimal travel restrictions because of media um, looking at my every move because no one cared. So it was kind of cool. How did you meet your wife? Um, the football club that I was uh, the strength and conditioning coach for, she ended up working there about two weeks after I saw her at a bar. I saw her at a bar and I was like, who the fuck is that? She's gorgeous. Yeah. And then two weeks later she was uh, working as one of the um, – staff at the football club i was like well that's fairly fortunate uh at the time so you see this hot girl at a bar then you don't see her for two weeks and she shows up at your work and work, you're like what mate, the fuck what the fuck's going on here yeah and that's crazy even crazier was at the end of that season my brain said to me what are you doing walking away from this girl because i was actually with someone at the time so i was like all right i'll be a, i'll be the right I'll be a man and, and not do the wrong thing here. And then I walked away and my brain just said, what are you doing? Chimp. Chimp was talking to me. Maybe it was a, a positive chimp at that time. And then yes. I didn't see her for four years. And then just before I went to Europe, two weeks before I went to Europe on that, I'm leaving for Europe trip. Um, she came into the gym that I worked at for, for an event and we, we hit it off again. And then I was like, did you recognize her? So you saw oh, yeah. her, then she worked at your work, didn't see her for four years. And then you saw her and you recognized her. Yeah, and she recognized me too. So there was there was a few butterfly moments for both of us by the sounds of what we've spoken about. And then we went – this is back in like 2000s, right? So I went to Europe and we were emailing each other and Skyping each other. So we basically courted each other for four and a half months during that time. And I think it was one of the best things because how well do you get to know someone having to make conversation and write each other interesting letters and emails and things like that so we were super tight and then she took a risk and came over to london for a contiki tour to meet me um and a i was late tour? to the what's it what's a, that what's a, a contiki a, a contiki is just where you kind of have your uh europe trip organized for you it's a lot of drinking and okay. partying okay. basically but okay. you know you get a day in rome go see this and then we'll catch up and we'll all drink and then go to the next place on a bus so it's kind of organized i didn't do that i went home i'd I'd done my time in Europe. I'd run out of money. So I went home. She did her thing because she needed to do it too. But when she flew over, I was going to pick her up from the airport. I'd done a, I'd done a dummy run the night before, got the bus to the airport, come back. It's been a long time, right, guys? I'm waiting for her to come over. So I did a dummy run. I was like, good. Okay, it's going to take me 20 minutes to get there. Got up at 5 a.m. the next morning for this bus, and it never came. So I, I was panicked out of my head about how i'm going to get there and she basically waited for 45 minutes for me to turn up so at the point she's like this is potentially the worst practical joke that i've ever been put through but thankfully she stayed because back then you didn't 
have your mobile number. It wasn't easy to get online. We had no to go Uber. to internet cafes and yeah. things like that. So she was a brave girl coming over to to find me, and we have a we had an awesome time for about three days in London, and then um, I asked her out at this bar, this pub, and then ten years later we eloped to London and got married at this same pub on the day ten years later. So been to, wow. it's a pretty pretty cool story. Um, how, what do you think, how do you make a relationship last that long with someone who's as ambitious as you? I'm, I'm guessing you guys spent a lot of time apart. Yeah, no, you're right. We have. And I think it's just having that support. She's been my best supporter the whole time. And, um, obviously it's not normal for someone to be away from their husband or wife for almost two years during that time. And, you know, we wait two, two years. Yeah, while I was in China, like back and forth because of COVID, she couldn't get into the country because they weren't giving any visas out to anyone except someone who had a work visa. So even a spouse visa was not accepted. So I was working with plenty of guys who had their wife and their baby daughter back home. Okay, so yeah. so I want to go back a second. So, oh, this is fucking nuts. It's not. <laughs> I, I want to hear one one real quick thing here. Jump forward before we go back to this. Um, how did you get the job at the PI in Shanghai? And, and why is the PI in Shanghai three times the size of the one in Vegas? Two, yeah. two non-related questions, but I'm ready. Okay, I'll try and group it in together. Basically, you're, you're you're a star. Do it. You can do. It. You spend a lot of time in front of the camera. Make it make it like I asked one smart question. Dot points. All right. One smart answer for the one smart question. Basically, we got an email randomly out of the blue to, for me to work in China six years ago, maybe seven years ago. My wife was the first person to say, we have to go. We've got to do it. So I stopped my business on the Gold Coast. We went to China, worked for American companies. Sorry. What was the email and how did they find you? Sorry. Sorry. <laughs> got to do it. What was the email? How did they find you? Why did you stand out to these people? Uh, well, they asked a friend of mine who is working in professional sport, had just got his first job in Australian rules football, which was his dream. He'd done their course, you know, Exos, the American company, they yep. do an online course. So he'd done this course. They recognized he was a talent. They reached out to him and said, look, we've got contracts in China. Would you like to work for us? And he said, no, I've just got a job with AFL, Australian rules football professionally, but I know a guy. And so that's, I didn't even go for this job. I just got an email saying, would you like to move to China, work for Exos, working with Shanghai Unreal. Olympic athletes? I said, yes. So we spent three years there working with that contract. It was a great time, great city. Then when that contract ran out, because we worked for the national games, the national games are the largest competition, sporting competition outside of the Olympics. It's got all provinces of China competing against each other. Really big deal every four years. So we got that competition done. Now I needed a job. The next uh competition was the olympics and china wanted to start developing olympic based surfing so i worked for the surfing team trying to improve that now this surfing team was based on a river wave in a place called hangzhou so wow. it's a it's called the silver dragon event and that that would have been our home break so to speak so we'd tried to discover waves on the islands around china found some amazing waves and then funding fell through at the same time that the UFC Performance Institute was getting built. So I went for that job because the surfing didn't look like it was going to work out. Got the job at the UFC Performance Institute. That place is three times as big as the Vegas one because of the academy program. We need more staff. 
uh, more athletes, more space. And the idea was that that was also going to be a place to develop UFC's um, presence in China. So we have, they were going to have fights in-house. We had a, a spot where you could drop the cage down with the light showing on it and a full fanfare like steps that would look down on this octagon. And the whole point was to drop it in there and have fights from people around the world come in to the actual facility and have competitions there. COVID fucked it up, but it's all still there and we're, we're waiting for it to all kick off again. How so, did I go? <laughs> fucking 10. You killed it. That was an ass question. You killed it. You made it seem, made me seem brilliant. Um, So you were there from the ground up of the yes. building of the PI in China. Yes. I saw it when it was gutted and just getting developed, like with nothing in it. In fact, the first three months there, I could look out of our office inside at the gym as it's getting built. So fresh. And in, in I, I guess your reputation, you must have had an amazing reputation, but what about your self-confidence? Like, did, did, how did you not second guess yourself as you go through? I mean, you're in China with the with the second largest organized, you know, outside of the Olympics, like you said, you had done the surfing thing and, and then it got parlayed to Olympics and then it got surfing and then it got parlayed to UFC the whole time. Are you ever questioning yourself? Like, am I course, capable mate. of all this? Yeah, of course, of course, of course. And I think it's like anything if you're going into a competition of any sort you're always going to guess yourself your chimp's always going to be chattering at you but the human side's got to go back to all think of all the experiences that i've had and the things that i have done right the people i've helped the ways i've done that the lessons i've learned and you've got to fall back on those things and have that logical conversation with yourself and don't worry there's definitely days where i'm like what the hell am i doing i'm such an imposter but i i almost feel like some days it's it's better to feel that way than to be overconfident. Maybe that's I agree. Some, something, you know, in Australia, we have the tall poppy syndrome. I'm not sure if you guys have heard of that. Yeah. So Very that, familiar with it. They got it. They, yeah. they, they're beating you in Canada in Canada yeah. and in the, and in, in the uh, countries in the North and Northern Europe, man, what a mess that that is. Yeah. Yeah. So it, it's humbling, but at the same time, you can be almost take that too far. And I think, that's what I love about America is that if someone does something well or you feel like you need to tell something that – like the amount of comments I've had on my moustache since I've been in America, no one had ever told me that in Australia. People are so kind with actually giving compliments or – you know what I mean? I'm like, this is great. In Australia, they just bag you out for, for trying to be different or something like that. Your moustache is impressive. amazing. Thank you. It is really – I appreciate it. It, it is. <laughs> I love it. It's all like – it's all I got these days, mate. I can't. I can't do anything up top. So I've got to. I've got you to are a very beautiful yeah. man. Don't don't kid yourself. Your wife That's scored. It. Yeah. I so so the lucky one. So when you go to China, she comes with you, but somehow you get separated. And when you get separated, the COVID rules, pandemic rules, take place, and you can't get back together. Yeah. So for the three years I was with Exos, it was fantastic. We were like, everything was great. And then the surfing one, while I worked that out, she was in Australia, but she could travel back and forth. But I, I lived in a hotel for eight months, didn't get paid because of the, um, the dodgy government stole the money from us. So the whole time I'm stressed out and then I go, I'm out, I'm coming back to Australia. And then the UFC, I got that job. She came over with UFC for the first. So when you said you're out, you never actually got on a plane and went to Australia. It kind of they just barely seamlessly touched each other and you made the leap. 
Uh, sorry, mate. To so, so so you were saying you were in the hotel for eight months and you were like, "Fuck it, I'm out." But you're saying you never got on a plane and went back to Australia at the nick of time. The UFC picked you up. Um, it, it kind of was like the crossover. I did go back to Australia while they were making the decision on it, but I I was in China when they started recruiting because I remember I thought I was going to be happy with my surfing job. So I just told the recruiters all my friends' names and said, you guys should go for this job at the UFC. I didn't actually apply myself. And it was the recruiter that said, man, you've been super helpful. You should you should apply for this job. I'm like, yeah, I guess so. I'll have a go. And then I ended up getting the job, which was, fa- which was fantastic. But I ended up going back to Australia, hanging out with my wife for a while, trying to make the decision whether I go to um, the UFC Obviously, that was a no-brainer. Um, and then so we came over to China, lived together there for like maybe a year. It was perfect. And then COVID hit. As COVID was hitting, we went back to Australia for our um, – well, we got married. So we got married in London, then went back to Australia afterwards to celebrate with our family. And that was the last time my wife was in China because soon after that, COVID hit China. Um we stayed in Australia. The UFC said, do not go back to China. There's stuff going on. They brought us to Vegas for a month. COVID hit America while we were here. So they said, go back home. We got back to Australia and the next day China shut down completely. And so we were stuck in Australia for eight months. So at least we were together there. Yeah. And then I went back to China for seven months. I didn't see her for seven months. Then. The UFC said, yeah, you can go back. That's when I went through all those quarantines. So I saw her for two or three weeks then, went back to China for another seven months without seeing her. And then I said to my boss, Duncan French, I was like, mate, I don't think I can do this anymore. I'm out unless by January I'm out. And then literally two days later, um, the position I am in now, my predecessor, Bo Sandoval, who's a fantastic guy, fantastic coach, moved to Texas, ANU, A&M, sorry, and he's there now. And so Dunk rang me up two days later and said, uh, did you want the director role in Vegas? So were two you the director after. in Shanghai also? Um, a different sort of the, – the way our system works, I was the S&C manager. So basically the way our system works is Duncan French is our umbrella boss. He's the vice president of performance. Then there's four directors, one for each category, so – sports science, nutrition, strength conditioning, and physiotherapy. So there's four directors, and that's where I am now. And then underneath that are the managers. So there's a manager in Las Vegas. There's a manager in Shanghai. That was me. And then now there's actually more performance institutes looking to be built. So if they are going to be built, then there'll be a manager of those ones in that place. But the director oversees all of those positions. Incredible. Yeah. yeah, yeah. And 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 now your whole family is now in Vegas. Yes, my wife, myself and soon to be little man. Yeah. Wow, crazy. Yeah. So the what, what we a journey. always what a journey. What we've always said is, you know, it's it's like that marshmallow theory. Is that, have you seen that video with the kids where they're offered one marshmallow and then the person walks out of the room and says, "Don't eat it." And if you don't eat it, yeah. you get more when I come back in. It's the same yeah. thing, right? Life's supposed to be hard and then potentially easy, or if you pick the easy way, it's going to get harder later. So we figured we'll we'll do the hard bit at the start and hopefully it gets easier from here on. We'll see. We'll see how that theory pans out for us. 
Um, and 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 you're and you're ecstatic in your position. You love it there. I love it. It's a great challenge. We can be creative, which, as we were saying before, a lot of sports have got history, and it's hard to change history because we've always done it this way, kind of vibe. But we haven't always done it this way in strength and conditioning and mixed martial arts. In fact, we haven't really done it a way. So let's find out what that could potentially be, and we can discover that with our with the technology that we have and with the the sports science that we use, we can actually find out for real. So it's not bro science works to a point, right? Because that's where great ideas come from, but we then need to prove those things. So that's hopefully what we're going to be trying to do, use our creative thought and ideas and then back it up with science. And then now we have a really great systematic approach to MMA. You said in another podcast that there is very limited literature on training um, combat athletes. And, and and that and that makes sense. I mean, there's a lot of technical literature out there, right? Mm. And a lot of coaches yeah. that teach uh, the technique, but um, but as far as the strength and conditioning, it's very limited. Yeah, and I mean, the, it, di- it dies with the it dies with the teacher. It, the, yeah, exactly. And there's there's stuff out there, but when you compare the amount of like, if you're looking at um, soccer research papers on soccer performance there's hundreds of thousands right. and so when right. you compare that the, the numbers of scientific backed research evidence um, literature on mixed martial arts no there there isn't a great deal when you compare it to other sports and one of the cool things we've managed to put together is the ufcpi journal which is free online uh, we've done volume one and volume two now and volume two takes takes the athlete and or the coach straight from first day of training all the way through to fight day and every component of that sports science nutrition snc physical therapy what are the most injuries uh how do we get around them concussion protocols everything so if you're a strength coach or a nutritionist or a physical therapist that's involved in mma or wants to become involved in mma bang hit that link download it now and it's free and it's about a 530 page booklet wow yeah. How often are you guys putting those out? Um, probably every two or three years because we need to – I hope that link works too, by the way. It's been a bit dodgy lately. Um, we're Probably two or three years because we need to collate a lot of information on the tests that we do. So let's say we do a counter-movement jump test. It, that's going to change from year to year as we get more athletes and different types of athletes on. So we want to give you um, – specific targets for your weight class and gender as to what would be considered elite in your sport so if you're going to do a counter movement jump of 50 centimeters you might be considered um, world class in bantam weight well if you're training a person out of your gym at home or in your local area and you happen to have a jump mat or a force plate or something you can get your hands on you can actually compare your athlete you're working with to the ufc roster and find out what you might need to work on as, as an SNC coach. I, I love it that it's free. That that always works out better for everyone. For sure. It's in the long run. Too. Like yeah. We want to share. Like One of the things I always say is it's not like we're a team. It's not like we're the Denver Broncos and we can't give the information out to the public because the Seattle Seahawks might see it and use some of our tricks, right? We're just the, we're the UFC. We we don't have an immediate competition. The UFC is the competition. So we just want better um, craft from our athletes, and we're trying to help them be the best version of themselves so that we continue to have the best UFC or MMA league in the world. 
there's this tendency of human beings to want to like hoard their information or not give away their stuff for yes. free. And and I don't know if you know the story of CrossFit, but basically Greg Glassman started filming all his level ones and putting them free online. And the people over the hill in Silicon Valley were like, hey, you better stop doing that. Well, he made the right decision, lowered the barrier of entry, and his company exploded. You know? Yeah. 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 Give it away. Even though everything was free online, people still came to the seminars to hear the same stuff that they already watched the video on. Yeah, it's like you you give a lot, you'll get a lot a lot of the time, right? Like that's, yeah, it's kind of the long term vision instead of the short term vision. Um, in one of the podcasts I watch you do, um, you mentioned something, and I'm not sure if I heard it right, but I'd love to hear you talk about it about explosive. Well, th- a couple of fascinating things I didn't know that um, speed wanes qu- significantly quicker than strength. I'd be curious what if you could talk about that and also tell me where stamina fits in there, sort of mm-hmm. people's ability to maintain their metabolic capacity, their endurance. And then also you said something about uh, explosive movements being important for people who are older, mm. I think, in regards yes. to maintaining balance. And I was like, holy shit, I, I, I need to ask him about that. Yeah. Yeah. Uh- Okay. Because there's a lot of debate in CrossFit that CrossFitters shouldn't be doing snatches. And, of course, we all think it's fucking idiocy. Like, like just lower the weight or just use a PVC. But everyone should be warming up and, and participating in explosive movements. Yeah, I think just on that last point, I think like we spoke about with different tools and methods, like uh, I think Olympic lifting is fantastic. And it's just whether you've got the capacity to do that. And like you said, it's at the, what entry point are you coming into that lift? It's, it, that's just coaching though that's just good coaching that's not the system that's the individual one-on-one like the coach should be able to understand like hey maybe this person can't even put their arm over their head why would you get them snatching it's like let's work on that first and then we'll get them to that point or maybe it's a high pull and it's like they can manage that they just don't need to go overhead but the the action is still explosive let's get them doing that they can do that component of that lift that's just good coaching right it's not the system that's broken um but I, I just on the elderly, a lot, a lot of the time, they're, they're the muscle fibers that atrophy first. So our type two muscle fibers, type two X particularly, are the ones that will atrophy with age. And so that's actually more. There's been research done by Edith Cowan University to highlight that actually Olympic-based lifting or power-based movements steadily progressed into a program uh, are really beneficial to prevent falls because when that's what happens when an old elderly person falls is they've lost that capacity to to react with speed because they don't have that muscle fiber type anymore it's atrophy so let's maintain that it's not like they're going to um a lot of the time when you do endurance based cardiovascular training you will sort of lose those type 2x fibers it's it's like a um interference effect with that so it's not like they're going to be doing 21k runs or long distance runs at that age so it's actually probably better that they just do a a, like power-based training to ensure that those muscle fibers hang in there and they don't atrophy too fast so that's the first one um i'm trying to remember the oh yes so decay rates sorry seven yep yep so the decay rates is what you're speaking of the speed dissipates faster than than strength so this is done by a researcher called isherin um i think he's got a paper out in like 2018 i'm not very good at remembering those things but it was just talking about the decay rates of your physiology so strength you can pretty much not train strength for around 30 days give or take and you'll still manage to um to maintain that physiological 
uh, expression of strength. You'll still stay strong. Speed, though, is anywhere from three to five days, give or take. So it, if you don't train speed specifically, then it'll dissipate or decay a lot faster than strength would. So if we're thinking of a fighter that's coming into fight camp, we could probably in the last three to four weeks of their camp not work on maximal strength anymore but focus more towards the power speed end of the force velocity curve. And that means that they're going to maintain that output and that expression for the fight. They're also going to maintain their strength for the fight. Uh, the other thing is if you're thinking of strength endurance, that's a really good point and something we're digging into a lot at the moment because that's huge for our sport. If you think of them getting into a grappling exchange, and this is often something they've told us, they go for, get into a grappling exchange for a minute or two, then they pop out of it and then they need to start striking and those arms are really heavy and fatigued. So when we look at our energy system testing on the assault bike, we do three tests. We do VO2 max test. Our sports scientist, Roman Foman, is a genius. And Roman Foman? Roman Foman. <laughs> Russian Roman Foman. He's our crazy Russian scientist. He's a genius with energy system work. So um, he, he does VO2 max test, a maximal glycolytic power test, and then a maximal alactic power test. So he's looking at our three energy systems, all on the assault bike, also with gas analysis. Now, let's say you do a VO2 max test. And at the end of it, your score isn't that good, but your heart rate actually isn't peaking. It's not up towards that higher threshold. Why would that be? It's because your peripheral or your muscular system has let you down. It's gassed out first. So we're now not looking at a central adaptation or a cardiorespiratory issue. We're looking at a muscular's issue to be able to buffer that Hydrogen, turn it into to energy again and keep going and going. So when we prescribe exercises in the gym for their energy system development, we might look at more peripheral adaptations versus central adaptations because that's what that particular fighter needs. What what a fascinating distinction. What a knucklehead that I didn't think of that before. Someone may have the metabolic capacity to go uh, for 10 minutes as hard as they can, but they only have the uh, muscular capacity to go 20 seconds. So and so you have this, and out, so right? you have this discrepancy, yeah. Yeah. So you've got someone that could run really well, but maybe they fall behind on on the lifting component of the of the wad. Well, well, maybe that that person needs to work more on the the peripheral adaptations that they have. So the the muscular adaptations within that section of the wad, that's where they need to focus on that strength endurance component. Yeah. But if someone's running capacity is not strong then maybe their central adaptations aren't as good so maybe that's what they need to work on that could be a good way to put it into your crossfit training you know even in this most recent event we saw people racing to do the 30 clean and jerks with 225 and no one gassed out what happened to all of them was is um they had no problem mentally grabbing the bar and bringing it to their shoulders but at some point the the weak link stopped working and people started failing the shoulder to overhead but you mm -hmm. could tell they had the gas and they had the strength for the first piece of the movement, the explosiveness, but it was that other piece that was that they had to wait yeah. for it to, you know, like the video game to get get its energy back up. Yeah, absolutely. And I mean, we're obviously very, um, you know, we're obviously very good at particular movements. Like maybe the the pulling, you're going to be able to utilize your legs far more than your, your overhead press. Obviously, your overhead press, you're going to be doing a dip and drive. So we're using a component of your legs. But think of like a deadlift versus 
versus a, a squat jump or something like that. You're like you, you're right. just accessing more of your body during particular phases of movements. And so that's right. why the clean and jerk is such a difficult one, even in Olympic sports. It's like, well, the overhead bits where most people fail, generally speaking, right? Right. A fat, there was a fascinating thing you said. I wonder if I can, if I wrote it down, why am I not seeing it in my notes? I'm going to have to, oh no, here it is. This is, I just love this. 77% of fights are won during six to 36 second high intensity output somewhere in the five round fight. Mm-hmm. Can for for can for those of us who who don't follow fighting, can you explain to us? Can you draw a picture for us? What is that like? Give us an example of what that looks like. So, if you if you think of a uh, a combination of punches and kicks or punches into takedowns, generally speaking, that that epoch or that amount of time is going to be between six and thirty six seconds from the start of it to actually submitting the guy or to knocking the guy out. It's going to be on average between six and 36 seconds. And that high intensity output is obviously you're trying to knock them out. You're trying to submit them. So you're, you're, you're going at a, at a higher pace. So 77% of fights are won in that time frame. So what happens from our mindset as a strength and conditioning coach is, well, wouldn't you want to try and repeat that over the course of three or five, five-minute rounds as much as possible? Do you have the capacity to repeat those six to 36 second high intensity epochs for five, five minute rounds. If you don't, then you're lessening your chances of winning because 77% that's a fairly large number. We want to try and get as much of that as we can. So that was all in the first journal as well, which is obviously free. And it looked at ways that people won versus, you know, KOs and TKOs versus submissions, what type of submissions, all of that's broken down. And it's really great information for any budding SNC coaches to look at and, and reverse engineer your sport to, to program effectively for your athlete. So if you could do that once during the fight, you have a very narrow window if, if, of, of winning. But if you could do it yeah. twice around, do go. it, do it, recover, do it again. All your, your, your chances of winning go through the ceiling, you know, and that's what we're trying to do. We're trying to maximize the opportunity for these athletes to one to win. At the very start, we spoke about how hard they work and then potentially they make one mistake and it's all over in the first minute. Well, obviously we want to think of the other end of that spectrum and that is what gives them the most opportunity to win from my perspective. I don't teach them how to box. I don't teach them how to grapple. That's not my job. My job is to teach them how to sustain that skill set for the amount of time that that fight is on as best as they can. Uh, I've said to athletes before, I want you to trust how fit and strong you are so that you can go out and express who you are as a person in the fight game. If you want to go out there and tear someone's head off consistently for three, five minute rounds, I want you to know that you can go and do that. Because if you don't, you won't trust the process and then you won't mm. fight the way that you fight. And then you'll, and then you'll beat up on yourself because you're like, ah, I should have done this and I should have done that. I don't want that for you. I want you to go out there and express everything the best that you can. So what is the worst that thing that can happen? Yeah, the worst thing I can imagine happening in life is being in a fight and running out of oxygen. And that's what they're scared of. You're spot on seven. That's exactly what they say. They're so scared of gassing out. There's there's like nothing like it. And so for me, the energy system perspective of our prescriptions is probably a little bit more important than their strength and power in some ways because 
that fear of gassing out, if they know that that's not going to happen to them, whoa, look out. They're going to be able to put on the best show possible, and that's all we want from them. Even if they lose, a lot of the fighters, they're disappointed. But if they had a great showing or a fight of the night, they're kind of like, ah, it's a good scrap. That was that was fun, you know. I was able to put on my showcase my skills as best as possible. Uh, I, I've interviewed fighters who said that they can see punches coming, but they but they can't even they literally can't tell themselves to put their hands up. Yeah, because they're so they're so gassed out. They're like it's like I'm watching myself beat up and I'm and I'm just helpless. It's like a bad dream, right? It's horrific. Oh, it's it sounds horrible. <laughs> and um, on 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 that, there's there's a lot of neck or concussion protocols we put together. It's just a, it's a, got me thinking. We've created this neck profile system that we put in. So you've got your flexors, your lateral flexors, and your extensors at the back. And what, what we'll do is we'll use a valve force frame for that, and we'll test the athletes to see what their ratios are. So flexion to extension, flexion to lateral flexion, what are the ratios, and what area of their neck strengthening do we need to work on? So if, you, if you've got weak flexors and you go into a contest where you're getting punches in your head, you, you really want those flexors to be pretty strong, right? So then that becomes our, our neck prescriptions for that athlete if they've fallen behind on the flexors. But the other thing with concussion um, prevention is actually being able to see those punches coming, which is what got me thinking. And we use... Uh, a TV screen and a program called Synaptech where we look at hand-eye coordination, reaction times, because if you can see the punch coming, you can then use that newfound strength you have in your neck to brace for it, and that decreases the risk of concussion. Have you seen any of these studies where they show um, uh, regarding uh, periphery, where people who live in places where you can see the horizon, entire horizon line versus people who are raised in cities and can't see the entire horizon line about how the, it affects their periphery? I have not seen that. That sounds fascinating. Yeah, it's it it is fascinating. So you know, you live somewhere, let's say like New Mexico or the deserts of you know even outside of Las Vegas. Supposedly, people, especially young people, if you're if you're in an area where you can see the whole horizon line, you get significantly different brain development and periphery than people mm -hmm. who were like raised in New York City and everything is just you know just up in your shit. Yeah. Yeah. Narrow focus makes makes a lot of sense. Absolutely. Um, along those lines of, of what you were saying about the neck, I heard you say something that you can take a punch twice as hard directly on as you can from the side. Yeah, we've, we've used, um, and this is some very preliminary data that we found in Shanghai. Um, so we would put mouth guards in with accelerometers when the guys and girls sparred, and then we'd look back at the footage and try and mirror up when they got clipped when they took a punch and then look at the forces that, that mouth guard produced and what we were finding was they they'd get cracked pretty hard with the jab cross and and were still standing and there was no problem but as soon as they got clipped on a rotational force it, it would either drop them or create um uh, at lesser forces it would create more damage than it would as the straight on jab cross so you know for us that sort of got us thinking in terms of concussion prevention and making sure that at the rotators of our neck and the lateral flexors of our neck are super super strong and now we've developed that more into actually looking at a testing protocol using that force frame and what we've found so far in our very maybe last six months of data collection is that a lot of grapplers or wrestlers will have really really strong lateral flexors because a lot of the time that's how they're going to do their takedowns right they'll go in for the single leg or double leg 
press the ear up against the middle of the body and then use that head to then um, off-center the, uh, the body so that they can then take them down. So their, their lateral flexors are actually often stronger than our extensors, which is unusual. The extensors at the back should be about two times as strong as the flexors. And then these lateral flexors and the front flexors should be one-to-one. -one. So what we're finding is that these ones are almost two-to-one on the other one uh, against here and against the extensors, which is really, really unusual, but generally only seen in guys who grapple a lot. How do you train the? Can you train that stuff in the gym? Is that what like that thing Absolutely. I always see advertised that they put on your head? The iron neck. Yeah, that thing. Yep. yep. So there's an iron neck. You can use super bands, like the, just the bands that you'd use for accommodating resistance on bench press and squats and things like that. Uh, there's neck harnesses that you can use attached to cables or weights. We, we've got fairly creative by coming up with a systematic approach where we might use isometrics then move on to isotonics, so your concentric, eccentric movements. Then we'll use a term called oscillation drift, which is where you drift into a movement and the muscle will contract and then relax, but it's kind of like a slow version of that. And then we'll move on to just straight-up oscillation dynamic, which is where the muscles are just firing on and off. And you can imagine that's more like a fight where you might go into that contest and you've got to brace your neck and then relax it, otherwise you'll burn up oxygen. So it's it, we got really, really creative with it. And it's and it's super fascinating fascinating area. So yeah, if you were to use the Swiss ball like that, you could definitely do more like your oscillation drift, where you push into the Swiss ball on and off. Um, I know Formula One do it a lot. I'm not sure if that's what this um this is from, but there you go. So there's those neck rotators. So let's say that was a fighter, you'd make sure that those rotational muscles in the neck are super strong to ensure that those forces can now actually be taken but again remember guys you've got to be able to see the punch coming so there's no point having a strong <laughs> neck if you don't see the punch coming you're still getting knocked out so there's many components to this right are there any fighters you see and you're like oh man i wish i could get my hands on this guy like going back to Derek lewis like you're like oh please if he would just just move here for 12 weeks what i could do with that what an amazing stone and you want to craft it there, there are, and then sometimes I need to pull myself up on it and say, well, a lot of them are still pretty damn good. Would I be able to influence them to the point that it made a positive difference at this time, right? Like, ultimately, they need to be good fighters to be in the UFC and to be successful in the UFC. That's the number one important thing. We underpin what that is. So there's definitely fighters where I'm like, oh, if I just had you twice a week, I just wonder... I wonder how good you could be in terms of your physical fitness and your strength and things like that. But you might actually make them go backwards. You never know, right? Like this is the thing. You, you've got to be egoless about what we do, but I do think it plays a really, really important role in in the outcomes of mixed martial artists. But everyone is different. We go back to that thing again. Some people might not actually respond that well to them. They might feel too heavy. They might not be psychologically ready, and that's a big thing that we talk about as well. Someone could squat 250 kilos, and on the day, their nerves make them shit the bed, and they can't express any of that strength because they're too nervous. So what does it matter? You know, We need to make sure that on the day, they're actually emotionally ready, their nervous system is ready. Otherwise, that's that. They're prepared. They can squat 250 kilos, but they're not ready. Their readiness 
has suffered because their neural system has fatigued them and therefore they can't actually express any of those things they work so hard to get. Does 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 the PI have a hyperbaric chamber? Yeah, we, we've got a altitude chamber. Um, we we don't use it a great deal because you really need extensive periods of time for it to to make a difference. Um, and so maybe I'm using the wrong word. Talking about, I had I had an expert. Uh, yeah, no, I think I am using it. hyperbaric. Is the one where it basically simulates you being underwater. And it pushes oxygen into your body, and it's like it. There's just miracle cures everywhere around it now. If you look into the research, right. no, sorry, that's my bad. I didn't hear that properly. No, we we. They don't. need what they need. One of those. Yeah, well, you never know. It might might be coming up in the future. That's out of my uh, pay grade. I won't be able to do anything. With I, I just say that. I say that because of the the word concussion has come up a bunch of times and it's just remarkable. And so I had a guest on who is like a foremost expert in the Bay area on uh, hyperbaric chambers. And then recently I was hanging out with one of my friends whose dad has uh, dementia and he's had dementia for the last year. And I said, Hey, I saw your dad the other day. I go, what's going on? She goes, what do you mean? I go, he seems better. Mm. And she said, you're never going to fucking believe this. And I said, what? He goes, he's been doing hyperbaric chambers. Wow. And basically, I think they can put you under so much pressure, Gavin, that your red blood cells don't even have to start transporting oxygen around the body. It just starts free, free throwing, free flowing throughout the body. I need yeah, a hyperbaric right. chamber. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, those, those things have all got their place, right? I mean, one of the things that we utilize is photobiomodulation or red light therapy. And that's some of the things that we utilize for, for improved sleep or um, mitochondrial density, concussion protocols. Like it, there, there's some fantastic opportunities to utilize red light therapy in our facility. And I think it might be quite different mechanism to hyperbaric chambers, but I think it's if it can help the athlete, why not, right? Yeah, yeah. It, 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 and it's, um, it's, it, there's no medication. Yeah, bingo. Ticking boxes you're just, there. Yeah, you're just you're just sitting yeah. in in the um, in the room. Um, have you ever worked with the military? I have not. No. Yeah, I'm I'm surprised. Uh, I wonder if that's maybe your next chapter. Do you think that you <laughs> die at the? Do you think you die at the PI? Do, do you feel like you're going to be there for a long time? I don't know, mate. We'll, we'll see. I, I I like to experience as much as possible in life. So. At the moment, this is where we are, and I, I don't really think too far ahead, to be honest. I kind of go with the flow. So at the moment, we're here. We'll see what happens. If the PI opens up around the world, then maybe there's a transfer through one of them. I love seeing different countries, but this role is fantastic for me. I love it, and um, right now, pretty happy where I am. Uh, there was a, uh, a CrossFit athlete. I, I think his name was Lucas Parker. I didn't hear him say this, but someone told me he said it, that if you do a training program, and the guy who's writing the program is on performance enhancing drugs that, that that you should be careful because he's he's a the different a different kind of human being than you are and you're not going to get the results and the recovery is that something that you have to think of like okay some of these guys might be on performance enhancing drugs some of these guys might not be is there transparency would an athlete ever tell you that hey by the way I, i'm i'm on I'm, I'm doing this or or they can't even risk that and I, and yeah. I say that with no judgment. I don't judge anyone on whatever they're doing to get to the top. Like I, I, I'm not, I'm not a hater at all. 
Um, yeah, no, sure. It's a valid question. I honestly don't know. I, I, I would like to think that they would because it's got to skew your data, right? It's if someone yeah. comes in there, it's got to skew your data. You're like, wow, what the fuck is going on here? Sure. I, I mean, there's so much testing now in the UFC. I, I really think it's like if you look back at old UFC videos, like there's some some juicy McJuicies going on there. It's, <laughs> it's, it's a very very different program to today. Like you'll see the difference in body types, right? So I just don't yeah. think with the drug testing protocols they have, it's not worth the risk. You, you'll, right. lo- you'll lose your career. So, But in saying that, there's some people willing to take that risk, I'm sure, but I don't see anyone that I work with personally that's that's that type of person. Right. Mm. Um, for someone who wants to be a, follow your path and be a strength and conditioning coach and, uh, at the at the highest level, um, for for you it was just you had it seems like you're the kind of guy who just had your head down and grinding and the universe took care of you. Mm-hmm. Um, and maybe I'm just projecting onto you because that's the way I feel about my life. I just had my head down and worked hard. Um. Do you have any thoughts for them, for people who want to get into your, who want to be professional coaches? Yeah, I do. And there's a, for me, it's, you've got to do the hard work. You've got to earn the position. There's, there's so many people that want the sexy job straight away, straight out of college, straight out of university. It's like that people have to work for those positions. And there's a reason why you get those jobs. It's not just because of how much you know from theory. It's because you've been able to put that into practice time and time again and make so many mistakes along the way and also work on things like connecting with people like if an athlete doesn't believe you because they don't trust you then it doesn't matter how much you know you need to be able to prove to that athlete that you care about their journey or care about what you're actually prescribing to them at that time and that that's the right thing for them now and that all comes with an ability to to almost be a chameleon right like you've got to there's so many different personalities not just in sport, but just in the world. And if you can manage to connect with that person somehow, just that one connection, you're going to change your ability to be able to influence their outcomes. And so that takes time. You don't get out of college and have the ability to do that most of the time, unless you're a special person. So, and even then, you've got no experience behind you. So why would they go for you straight out of college if there's someone that has got that personality experience and also the coaching experience well, I know I'm going to go for that person over someone that's just graduated. So get in, do the hard work, do your internships, learn as much as you can, but don't just focus on the theory. Make sure you embody what our job is about. Make sure you continue to lift and train yourself because there's nothing like telling an athlete that on the seventh rep, this is going to hurt like hell because I did it yesterday. Builds trust again, right? Build that journey for yourself and then you'll find that you're in the position that you should be in at the right time because you've done the hard work to get there. Uh, Heidi Kroom, this guy is so smart. (laughs) I don't know about that, but I appreciate the kind words. I think it's just nice to be able to connect with people, right? You just, to me, that's the main thing. You want people to enjoy your sessions when they come and train with you, but you want them to know that it's the right place for them at that right time. And that's the Uh, the main thing. Are are you good with time? I I actually got to go to work. I didn't know how to bring that up. I, I, I hate that so working sorry. class. I hate that work. It's okay, Gavin. <laughs> hey, uh, I, w- I was so excited to have you on. Um, when I stumbled across your account on Instagram, I was like, oh my goodness, I got to have this guy on. I really, I really appreciate your time. Uh, and uh, we'll definitely, I'll definitely stay in touch with you. Thank you, guys. Thank you so much for having me. I really appreciate it.
Yeah, for sure. Thanks, Kevin. Nice to meet you. you All right. Too, don't guys. work too Thanks don't so work much. too hard. And and congrats Can't on the it. kid. Thank you guys. Appreciate it so much. Thank you. Bye bye. I could I could I could have gone three hours. I was really so much to say. That was awesome. Yeah. I've got some kind of chest funk going on. Should I work out today? You know what's interesting is so many people I know are sick right now. So many people. So many? So many. Whole families. Whole families. Three close families to me. Three different states. They told me their entire family is sick right now. Going around over here too. Are you are you COVID positive? How often do you test? Never. Oh. All right. We like we won't. We just don't. <laughs> where can you where do you go if you get sick there just stay in your in in that in that place where you under that bed where you did the podcast a couple times pretty much it's like oh yeah just quarantine i'm like but i have a roommate okay my whole house is down with it like everyone is sick now good eric weiss getting the flu shot. good good dude yeah right how about that how about that clip from uh jake paul Oh, I saw that. That was dope. I think yeah, I've seen it before, but I liked it. It was good. I um, I w- w- someone I know is uh, his one of his photographers, and I'm like, dude, I gotta get him on the show. I gotta get him on the show. Be kind of a miracle, but it'd be super cool. Oh, it'd be so cool. Once I saw that he's getting real like that, I'm like, oh shit, here we go. Get him, Jake. You should get Kanye on too. Yeah, Kanye would be wild. Holy shit, it would be wild. I haven't watched any of the podcasts he's doing. I just see the snippets on Instagram. Yeah, everybody's turning against him. It's crazy. So so stupid. Yeah. So stupid to turn against him. Did you watch the one with Patrick or David? With or, or with uh, Anthony Davis? Football player? Uh after one of our shows here, I pulled up a clip because Susa told me to, and I he, that guy is fucking. Cr- I I felt sorry for Patrick Bet David. Yeah, dude. I was like, dude, like, just ask him to leave at that point. That so what we talked about in the beginning of this podcast is someone who's stuck stuck talking to themselves. It doesn't even matter what you say; they're just talking to themselves. That's where that guy's stuck in that. One hundred percent. It's no wonder why they kicked him out of the of Tom Brady's team. There's no way you can. Oh, they did kick him off. How good was he? Was he like really good? It was pretty good, but he's just like it's an absolute nutcase. Soon as soon as I hear someone say disenfranchised or marginalized, or they start using any of those words or disproportionately affects. I, I know that they're stuck in an echo chamber. They use these blanket statements that you could use. Uh, yeah. Um, high urinals disproportionately affect short people. I can't tell you how many times in my life that the urinals are either too low because they're for the kids or they're for the adults and they're too high. Like it, I'm, they disproportionately, I mean, I could say the same thing. And I'm just on the say what you mean. I just want to hear you just say what you mean and, and let that the little bit of racism or sexism uh, uh, seep out of you instead of you hiding behind this fakeness like you care by using these blanket fucking just blanket jargon. It's like, funny I'm, because he kept trying to tell Patrick that David that he was raised in L.A. And he's like, no, dude, I was born in Iran for 10 oh, years. Oh, shit. Yeah. Every day. He goes, you were grew up in L.A., man. 
you it's okay you don't gotta tell me nothing like dude you didn't even hear what he said he just kept saying i'm marginalized i'm marginalized i was just like he had a little bit of the jesus uh syndrome going too i I heard him say i'm the light i'm the inspiration i'm the like i'm like wow this guy i'm a rock star I want to women urinal. Oh, it'd be interesting to make. Well, Get nah, a sheet tidy. Try it out. I think I've seen some device that a woman can put on her vagina somewhere where she can stand up and pee. It's a sheepy. And it, that's what it's called, a sheepy. Yeah, female pilots use it when they can't go to the bathroom in the jet. Oh no shit! Yeah, the military always has the coolest technology. We're so smart, dude. And then it just dribbles down to the general public. Eventually. Paper Street Coffee. Uh, I don't know if this is true, but I think you guys should go over there now. I heard. Yes. So the coffee is now 20% off. God, Gabe's going to lose his shirt on this. Are you sure you're going to want to do this, Gabe? Until Thanksgiving. You're fucked, dude. Uh, let me see. Wait, uh, I, I I was on a text thread where he's on it. Oh, you're on it too. Starting today through Thanksgiving, use the promo code seven and get twenty percent off your order on the site or Sevon. I think maybe they both work. <laughs> Gabe, you should make it so they both work. Uh, you get you get nineteen percent if you use seven. You get twenty percent if you use Sevon. Sevon, thanks for all the great podcasts, Brandon Waddell. Wow, that's crazy generous, dude. Uh, November is Diabetes Awareness Month. My book, Type One, is a kids' book to help young kids with their new diagnosis, love and peace. Oh shit, you sent me that book. It's sitting on my uh, dining room table. It's been sitting there for like eight months. I'll bring it into um, yeah, it's sitting on my. I'll bring it in and 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 show it off. Is that on um? Uh, Amazon. Is it on Amazon? I didn't even know you. You're the one who sent that to me. Thank you. Yeah, it is on Amazon. Type one W O N. Yep. Oh yeah, yeah. There it is. Oh, and it has six five star reviews already. Shit! Congratulations. Dang, everybody's writing books now. Uh, he. This one's been around for a while. Uh, awesome and informative story for kids and families who struggle with diabetes. A well written book with information and encouragement for kids and parents. Uh, of kids diagnosed with diabetes. The book explains the diagnosis and treatments in accurate but kid-appropriate language. Excellent work, Waddell family. Remember when he had to explain to me how to uh, pronunciate his name? I would call him Brandon Waddle. Reading's not my strong suit. (laughs) Oh, it was Antonio Brown, not Anthony Davis. Sorry, Bruce, my bad. Uh, definitely trying seven instead of seven since you still don't pronounce odd right. It's like odd, Audrey, so easy. Oh, odd, oud, oud. I see him more as a, a, a woman from Dubai. I'm gonna call you oud, Miss oud. Uh, no, thank you, brother. Thank you. Uh, Heidi's new book. I want a piece standing up like my mom. Uh, that will be released in two weeks. Oh, hey, <laughs> not now. Hey. That's a great, that's a great transvestite book. That's a great (laughs) book. That's a great book. 
Dick Butter wrote a book too. He says, I want to shit post on seven shows like my mom. Oh, oh, that's a dig at Heidi. I didn't yeah. get that. I saw that meme. I'm so glad. Oh, I didn't get that. I'm like, I don't get it. <laughs> oh, that's so good. Dick, can you fucking believe I asked Katie to reinstate you on YouTube? I'm a fucking legend. I'm going to have to. This is the My important question. Goodness. That was hard. Let me tell you, I did not want to ask that. That was. That was hard. Um, I don't see anything scheduled for tomorrow, which doesn't. Um, which actually, usually that would stress me out, but I'm kind of relieved. So. I think uh, we're going to get Dale Saran back on soon. I don't know if it's this week or not, but Dale has a suit against the United States government. He represents 900 uh, Coast Guardsmen in their uh, desire to uh, maintain their jobs with the United States Coast Guard but not be forced to take experimental drugs. I think the Coast uh, case is going swimmingly well. Uh, Dale has been on this podcast twice before, and he was recently on uh, the Dark Horse podcast with Brett Weinstein, I think his name. Um, if you have not seen the movie uh, No Safe Spaces, you must see that movie. No Safe Spaces. Uh, Audrey says Katie was not having it. Um, I should have asked her for a stairmaster. Uh, it's, 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 and they're like ten thousand dollars on the site. I don't know if it seems a little. Even I have a little too little. much pride for that. Even humble little me. I love Dale. Yeah, Dale's great. What a brilliant man. What a brilliant man. I've noticed he's getting more and more press. I have him in my Google Alerts, and, and, and once a week he's popping up in uh, news articles. Our buddy Jorge Ventura is doing some pretty amazing stuff too, and uh, Alex Stein, who I think is coming on in the next week, is also doing some pretty crazy stuff. He seems to now be a regular on the largest news show in the world, uh, Tucker Carlson, which is pretty uh, – Cool. Um, I guess that's it. If anyone wants to call and talk. Savon, I can come on the show. Well, thanks. Uh, I just brought a few bags of Paper Street Coffee. Savon promo code doesn't work. Womp, womp. Oh, Savon does. Oh, seven doesn't work. Okay, okay. Sorry, I wish. Oh, show's over. Uh, see you guys tomorrow. I will be here at 7 a.m. with something or something. Oh, I here's what I'm trying to do. I'm trying to schedule J.R. Howell and Taylor Self to come on the show. They want to do a reprogramming of the Rogue Invitational. God, I hope they're gentle. Oh, this is what I wanted to show you guys. For those of you camera geeks out there, look at this. I'm getting very nervous about the Zello games because we try something new there. I know there's going to be a lot of hiccups. It's okay. I'm not, I'm not, I'm not, it's okay. But look at this. Uh, the, the guy who runs, who's one of our sponsors, the, the, the coaching one. Master of coaching. Master of coaching. That's the, um, uh, the program out of Australia, right? It's a, mm -hmm. it's, it's, it's a newsletter out of Australia. Master mm -hmm. of coaching. This guy sent me this. Uh, let me see if I can find it on my Amazon. I, I, I bought it on Amazon. I'm dying to try. Oh, shit. I can't even get into my Amazon account anymore from this computer. What's it for? 
It basically, thank you. Good question. It's this item and you put it on top of your camera. It plugs into my camera. So like an actual camera or like a phone camera. Yeah. Like, so this camera, this is a really nice Sony camera. I can plug it into the, it sits on top of here. I plug the device into my camera and then I put my phone here and I plug my phone into the device. So it basically connects my phone and my camera together and my, in mm. my, this part's irrelevant, but, but the screen on my phone now becomes my viewfinder for my camera. But here's the trippy part. Then I can put a professional mic here and I can use the streaming service services. My phone has. So at the Zelos games, we could all have professional cameras and use our phone to stream it to StreamYard, so that everyone could watch it. Yeah. And I have gimbals and everything and the whole thing could be done just using phones in these $1,500 cameras. I know it's going to, it takes like a week to get here. I ordered it. Um, I don't know if we'll have time to to test one out, but, um, but if not this year for the Zealous games, I mean, imagine what you could do. You could roam around anywhere with your camera and just be just streaming just crazy professional footage. Seven, we can do that at Wadapalooza. Yeah, good point, Bruce. That'll be sick. Um, Audrey, Seven, I need a camera masterclass. I'd pay money for that. Okay, come over today. I'll, I'll, when I'm, I'll bring your camera. Come over today. I'm going to be at the skate park in Scotts Valley. And uh, we can use my kids as the subjects. And while they're skating, I'll show you how to uh, be an awesome. Maybe I'll do that guy. when I get back. I just want to know who rewatched Hiller do Heavy Grace because I did, and my HR was up just as much as the first time. What do you think about the title of that video? I got a little nervous about the title of that video. I thought it was dope. You do? Yeah. It says um, uh, "Steroid User versus CrossFit's Best." Okay. 31 comments. Holy shit. People hey, dude. love that shit. It's 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 so funny what we're still figuring out a year into this podcast. That we made a sub clip from the Do you want to know what how huge of a needle mover Rich Froning is? We made a <laughs> sub clip of him. And it has it's now become our most popular video in the history of the fucking channel. That's hilarious. It's called The Champ Returns. And has 57,000 views. And it's just a little clip from the podcast. I, I've been putting up subclips every single day. I'm going to be putting them on the Sevon Podcast uh, subclip station. If you don't subscribe to that, make sure you do. Maybe I can put a link. Can we put a link to that in the um, comments now? The the Here's the thing. I need to get over 1,000 subscribers on that, guys. Um, I, I normally uh, don't beg for uh, subscribers, but... Subscribe and turn the alerts on because once I get over a thousand, I can start trying to monetize that account. It's not a lot of money, but everything, every little bit helps trickling that shit in. And it will help us with the algorithm, I'm sure, whatever that means. I just use that word. I don't even know what it means. The algorithm. Gavin Pratt, director of strength and conditioning for the UFC. Yeah, he knows his shit. Rogue, Rogue Invitational shows killed it. Thank you to Katie and Bill, Bill and Katie. Maybe I should start doing Dear Katie and Bill. What do you think sounds better? Dear Dear Bill and Katie or Dear Katie and Bill? I think Bill and Katie, technically, if you're going to be grammatically correct. 
Rich move Sevon's needles. Sevon's needles. Sevon's needle. When I click on a comment, it always like flash. Oh wait, let me see. Like it flashes. Oh. Mine's been doing oh, yeah. too. It's weird. The only thing that would have made that better is if he had done it live while the event was going on. There's always one of you. You're like my dad. Oh, this is so good. A little more garlic. Just a little more. It's always one of you. Um, Never good enough, is it, Travis? Uh, the only thing that would be better about Vindicate is, is if they sold a zip-up. A zip-up. Oh, we talked about this, Caleb. <sighs> Disgusting. A zip-up uh, CEO. By the way, when you come back from wherever you are, I have this for you. Made by uh, the camera strap guy. Ooh, very nice. nice oh, right? nice. It's got my name on it. How sweet of you. It smells so good. Lucky camera straps at Australia. That's cool. He made, don't get too excited. He made one for Heidi, too. <laughs> Damn it. I thought it was the only one. Sevan, add that link to your channels in your landing page like you did with the consulting page. Add that link in your channels. I thought it was yeah. on there. I'll check it. Oh, Jay, on for YouTube. the um, he's talking about for the subclip station. Yeah. Okay, that's a good idea. All right, guys. Uh, thank you. Uh, maybe I'll see you tonight. Maybe I'll see you um tomorrow morning. Uh, Bill and Katie sounds best. I know. I think it does sound better too. Lowercase Bill. You think I should Bill? Bill and Bill. Katie. I'll work on it. Sevi, you have any update? I know I need to, Ryan. You're absolutely right. And actually, Somebody just asked me about him too. That keeps popping up in my head. You know what it is? Why I haven't recontacted him? It's for the stupidest fucking reason. It's because it's so fucking hard. I feel like those shows, it was so hard to communicate with them. And so it was always like a... <sighs> like I had to be ready to enter that world. Yeah. My style is just... On. Say that again? I had to like turn my translator on. Yeah, because my style is just to interrupt, and, and and you can't do that with him. I, I I have to like be more disciplined with him. I think he's doing well though. He's still coaching and everything. Okay, good. And he's back in the gym and all that. Seven, have you considered making a Spanish or other language version of your podcast to pull more subs from the other countries? Hola, amigo, cómo está? If you want to translate for him, do it. I wouldn't <laughs> even know how to do that. I'll look into it. I wish you could get a Russian on. All right, guys. Uh, we will either way. We'll see you soon, even though I don't know when. Bye bye.